You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, church. Happy Lent. How's it going? All the Lenten discipline still intact. Anybody messed up yet? I have. That's all right. That's okay. This morning we continue, and it's just like such a great series for people who mess things up all the time, like myself. We're continuing in this series, by grace, you have been saved. Not by your perfect Lenten disciplines are you being saved, praise God, because we would all be like, you know, out of luck. But by grace, you have been saved. And this is such an uncomfortable concept to really get, get our heads wrapped around, isn't it? That something that we don't deserve, we haven't earned, is being bestowed upon us willingly by the Lord. As we make our way through our Lent together, I want to keep you and your, your attention on this concept of it's God's grace that we're actually being saved by. And we get to participate and cooperate with his grace as we put things aside to make more space for him in our lives. Well, in our readings this morning, there are two figures that stand out. I don't know if you noticed. Abraham or Abram. And Peter, who also was renamed, you notice that? These two folks have been renamed. And these folks, these two characters, they're almost like guideposts for us as we navigate our Lenten pathway. One falls to his face before the grace of God, before this amazing promise that God makes to Abraham. He falls to his face. The other struggles to see the things that God is promising to do. One chooses faith, the other chooses sight. Can you see how these are our guideposts through Lent? Faith in the things that we can't see, in the promise of God's grace to us, in whatever life circumstance we have, or the things we can see, and the things that we know comfort our bodies, that the, the, the habits and the things that we just know to go to to make things kind of right for just a moment. We have these characters in our readings, and between them, we're trying to find our way in this Lenten season. I find myself there all the time, do you? Between what I can see and the things that I can't see that I know are true, that God has promised. I find myself caught between these all the time. Do I choose the promises of God that oftentimes I can't even imagine, let alone see or understand sometimes? Or do I choose the reality of my everyday life, the challenges that I'm facing right now, today, the troubles that are real and concrete, and gritty in my life, what do I choose? Well, our 40 days of Lent, I don't know if you know this, if this is your first time through Lent, this 40-day season is actually modeled after Jesus' season in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And his decision was quite similar, wasn't it? His hunger, his, I mean, being out in the wilderness by yourself, not eating for that long, all of those realities that are so pressing or the promises of God that he knows firsthand. Isolation, temptation, or faithfulness and trust in God. But how hard, I mean, we know this about Jesus and we think, well, that's Jesus, right? That's a totally different category of human being. Not so much, actually. If it's a totally different category of human beings, then we are not saved. He is like us, human, tempted in every way. 
And we look at him and we think, wow, that's, I need faithfulness like that. How hard is it for us these days to go without? In, in the age of Amazon Prime, how difficult is it for us to wait, be patient? I know you guys, you click order and then you look out the window waiting for that, that UPS <laughs> truck just to come. How hard is it? In the age of like streaming everything and instant everything, we have everything at our fingertips. It is, it is so difficult to wait and to go without and to want without being satisfied. That's why so, Lent is so helpful for us to push away all those temptations, that self-centered selfishness that just kind of creeps in because that's what everyone's doing. And that's what our habits and our rhythms just lend ourselves to. How difficult it is, it is for us to, to put that on pause for a moment and to be left waiting, to be left wanting. Lent forces us to deal with that discomfort. And in that discomfort, Lent whispers to us, it's okay, you can go without. You can be hungry. You can look at your suffering and the ways that you need healing in your life, you can look at that in the face and wait patiently in faith. The things, the circumstances in your life that are right there in front of you, you see, you know, here's, here's the bottom line of my checkbook. Here's my financial situation. Here's how it is at work. Here's the condition of my marriage, Sean. These are the real situations we live in. And yet in Lent, God invites us to wait on him in faith, not by the things we can see, but in faith. So in Lent, we learn not to find comfort in cheap, thin things that actually don't satisfy, but to wait for the comfort of the grace of God, the only grace, the only comfort that he can give us, the only rest that we truly need. But we've got to learn to wait. We've got to learn to have faith in those things that God promises. Y'all with me on this? Makes sense, right? Speaking of waiting, Abraham, Abram, he was 99 years old when God was going to give him this promise to make him an ancestor of a multitude of nations. Y'all think that we have a lot of kids, right? <laughs> Abraham was the father of a multitude of nations. And as a way of signing this covenant, this promise that God made to Abraham, he renamed him. Ab Sorry, I keep saying that. We have that tendency. Abram, he renamed him to Abraham. And his wife, he renamed from Sarai to Sarah to reflect this promise that God made to them. That they wouldn't forget that it's marked on their names the faithfulness of God. And what was his response? At 99 years old, the Lord appears to you and says, you're going to have a zillion kids. What, do you, what is your response? <laughs> yeah, right. What was Abraham's response? To fall on his face and, and put his belief and his trust in what God had promised despite what it looked like. He was 99. He had like 99 reasons to refuse to believe in what God was promising him at the time. And instead he believed that God would give life where there doesn't seem to be any way of life coming about. Peter, on the other hand, and I love Peter, when Jesus began explaining the ways that he was going to suffer, did you hear that in the gospel reading? All these wonderful things about the Messiah, but then that part about him suffering and dying, I think that's probably where Peter stopped listening. He saw suffering and dying, and he didn't hear the, and then three days will rise again, right? He took Jesus aside, and he rebuked him, putting Jesus in his place, saying, the Messiah doesn't suffer and die. No, the Messiah is king. That's what God has promised. It's going to be the way that I've always imagined it, Jesus. Let me take you aside and help you out on your message. Let's get back on message here. Where Peter could only see 
suffering and death and hardship. He couldn't see the promise of God. Those things, those things that he could see right in front of him, he, they blinded him from this amazing promise of what God was going to do in Jesus. That he would rise again after three days. And so, I, I know, maybe we revel in this a little bit too much, hearing Peter corrected like this. Because we don't get to see Jesus so harsh and so angry sometimes. But he turns to Peter and says, Satan, you adversary of God's will, his promises get out of my way. Get behind me. Peter's put in his place. Now, in both cases, with Abraham and with Peter, faith isn't so much, think about this with me, faith isn't so much putting your trust in this event or that event or something that God's going to do, nor is faith in both of these circumstances putting your trust in some positive religious outlook on life. I'm not trying to give you guys like a rosy way of seeing things. Like, it's okay when it's not okay. That's not what faith is in these, in these situations in Scripture. It's also faith, listen to me, because there are preachers who will, will actually preach the opposite of what I'm, what I'm about to say. Faith is also not a hope in getting some result that you want to see. It's not getting what you want, folks. Faith in God, the kind of faith that we see in Abraham, was a trust, an active and very personal placement of trust in the God of grace, in God himself, not what he does, but in who he characteristically is, what he does. Whatever it is that you do, Lord, that's what I'm putting my trust in. A God who always acts, just like our colleague said this morning, with mercy, in this self-giving way, for your sake, for my sake. We may not know exactly what God's going to do next, but having faith in him doesn't mean I'm going to trust God that you're going to work this out for me. Having faith means I'm going to trust you, Lord, in whatever circumstance, in whatever way you lead this situation, I put my trust in you. Knowing fully that God is the God who loves you, his children. God loves you. He desires to rescue you. In fact, he has. Putting your trust in that God who loves you and rescues you. And the, the hard thing for us to wrap our head around, just even me, myself, I can't often believe this. We believe in a God who does all these things despite what we've done. Have we deserved the love of God? We quite often work against it. Have we worked against God's ways? You heard the Decalogue this morning. I'm like guilty on like nine of those counts, at least. I don't think I've killed anybody. Do I deserve the rescue of God? Do you? Where do we stand before God? As righteous? As those who deserve this grace of God? Or those who just don't and are left wondering how in the world is God so loving and self-giving to us that he would come to our rescue, to our help? What a great mystery that is. How can this be? This is the kind of faith that Abraham had that was, as Paul said, reckoned to him as righteousness. In verse 21, because he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, despite 
what he deserved, despite what made sense to him at the age of 99, despite his circumstances, Abraham had the kind of faith that was fully convinced that God was able to do exactly what he had promised. This is who God is. Do you know this? Some of us may have really different views of God because maybe we've had like a father figure in our life that doesn't keep promises, couldn't if his life depended on it. Maybe you had like really good friends who have failed you and so somehow that's been projected on this view of God. Can I, can I just help us and clear that out for a second? Let me tell you who God is. God is the great covenant keeper. There's not a God who keeps promises better than him. Against all common wisdom, all the wisdom in the world today that would say otherwise, or any custom, or even what we think is reasonable, God seems to be quite comfortable working in this upside down way with a bunch of people who don't necessarily deserve it, keeping his promises, being faithful to them, always giving himself to them, no matter what. That's who God is. Whatever image you have of God, if that's the God you place your trust in, you might as well be an atheist because that God doesn't exist. This is the God that exists. He makes the wisdom of the world foolish by the people he blesses who don't deserve it. And he brings life where there doesn't seem to be any life. God brings life. And maybe even more important for us, when he brings faith to those who think there's no shot, there's no way out for me here. I am, I am cornered. I have nothing else. God brings faith even into those dry bones and says, have faith. He gives us that grace to put our trust in him. Abraham didn't have uh, a merit to his name. He didn't have anything going for him. Scripture said he was as good as dead. That's how old he was. No inheritance. No like reputation that was gonna save him. No wealth. What saved Abraham? It was the sheer Grace of God that was promised to him and his descendants. It was just the promise of God that saved him. And his response to God's promise, God's first move on Abraham's life, Abraham's response was what? Faith. I believe that you're the God that fulfills those promises despite what it looks like. Abraham had nothing else to boast about but his faith in the God who makes promises and keeps them. And this is the promise that God has given, not just for Abraham, Paul says, but also for us. In verse 25, he says, it will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Do we believe in a God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead for our sake? that the stain of sin, the wickedness, the brokenness in our life has been overcome. Death itself has been trampled over by Jesus. Do we believe that God is the God who raised Jesus from the dead and thereby justified us in him? Is that possible? I know we got philosophers and like intellects in here. That must just seem like, how in the world is that possible? And this is the thing that when scripture talks about making the wisdom of the world foolishness, it's so hard to believe. There's no way to like angle your way into this and reason your way into this. It's actually really reasonable, but it's so scandalously gracious that it's so hard to get our, our heads wrapped around it. It only comes as the filling of our hearts 
But the movement of God's grace and putting our trust in him and saying, Lord, I don't know how that is, but I believe that you are the God who keeps promises. And if you said you have raised Jesus Christ from the dead for my sake, that I would be made righteous before you, faith is putting our trust in that promise and saying, thank you, God. Amen. God is the God who promised to give us a Messiah and then gave us Jesus, the Messiah. He's fulfilled those promises. He's the one who brings life where there doesn't seem to be any life, even in your own life situation right now. God will bring life to you. He creates everything out of nothing. Do you think that God is bound up by your troubles or your hardship, your situation? Do you think that that's too much for him, the God who created something out of nothing? This is the same God that even now this morning invites us, you and I, put your trust in me, he says. Lent is such a clarifying moment because it helps us to see the things we've been putting our trust in that aren't God. And when we strip them away, we, we like throw a fit, right? Our bodies, our hearts, our minds, they throw a fit. It's so helpful just to unclutter. What is the thing I'm putting my trust in? Who is going to save me? Is it my own intellect? Is it my career? Is it, are they my degrees? Maybe it's my checkbook. Is it my friends that's gonna save me? Who's gonna save me? This morning, I wanna invite you, have you put your trust in the God who saves? Who even before you believed in him was already at work for your salvation, for your rescue. He was already at work and has secured it for you even before you knew about him. This is the God who promised this to you and yet delivers on that promise even today. Have you put your trust in him? Maybe you think, you know, I've done enough good in my life. I'm, I'm, in good, I'm in like generally good standing. There are worse people than me. Maybe, maybe God will see fit that I'm like good enough for him to work with. Or maybe you think you're on the other end of this. I'm not spiritual enough to believe in something I can't see. I'm just like way too enlightened to put my faith in something I can't see. If that's you on either side, I want to tell you, you're exactly where God wants you. You're right. There's nothing that can bring you to the God that will make things like work for him. There's nothing you can bring to the table to add to that faith that then the equation will work. Then you can believe in God and then God will start doing things for you. There's nothing you can bring to the table. There's nothing we can bring that will make God work for our good. Because the truth is, all we have is brokenness to offer. All we have is shattered faith. All we have is doubts. All we have is like a mess to offer the Lord. And that's good enough. So if you're in a place where you're like, I can't even wrap my head around faith, or in your place like, I'm not spiritual enough, wonderful. Because none of that stuff is gonna help you anyways. All you can do before the promise of God is put your faith in him. And this isn't some magical spiritual thing where we like feel it in our hearts. No, friends, this is super straightforward. It is a decision to put your trust in something. I decide today, I'm gonna put my trust in God. That's how faith begins. That's how it grows. It's a choice to believe and trust that he is the God who keeps his promise to deliver us. It's that simple. And when we do, friends, 
you can be assured, and this is why we have to say it out loud, because if I just said, now just imagine in your hearts that you're forgiven, you get the idea, let's move on with the service. No, it's not good enough. I have to stand up here and speak the words of Jesus to remind you that when you put your faith in the God who saves you, he actually forgives your sins. And he says it to you again and again every Sunday because we forget and we need to hear it again. Can it be true that God loves us this way? Yes, hear the words again. Receive his body and blood again. Believe, put your trust in him. Again, he saves, he gives. And what have you brought? But faith. This is such good news for a people who are bent on earning everything that they get or thinking they're entitled to all good things or to thinking that they're the center of all good things. This is such good news for us, friends, that with truly penitent hearts, we can say, God, I have like barely anything to bring to the table here. And the Lord to respond to us and say, that's good enough because I don't need anything. Put your trust in me. May today be for us and for some of you who have never put their trust in in God. May this be the day that we choose, despite all doubt, despite our situation, may we choose as clear-headed adults in the time we're living in to put our trust in the God who raised Jesus from the dead and receive that gift of grace. Even if we can't see that grace, maybe we won't see it for a few years, we can decide now, Lord, I can't see you. I don't know how this is gonna work, but you have promised that if I put my trust in you, you will lead me to all righteousness. You will lead me unto life. You will give me your son. I dare you, put your trust in the one who has never broken that promise and will never break that promise this morning. May this be the day for some of us to do that for the first time. If that's you, don't delay. Don't come up with an excuse. Don't put it off. Next Sunday is going to be the same way. You can do it then, but why not do it today? Why live another day without the kindness and the mercy of God? Why? Come to the table this morning with everyone else. And if maybe this is your first time you put your trust in Jesus, put your hands over your your chest because we need to baptize you. Put your hands over to your chest and say, tell me, I want to put my, my trust in Jesus this morning. And I'll pray a brief prayer of blessing for you if that's where you're at this morning. We want to celebrate and pray for you. For others, I want to ask, maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Where have you recently departed from putting your faith in the promises of God? What's it been lately? There's always something, right? We always have to continue to make that decision to put our trust in him. We're always being converted again and again to the faithfulness of God and Jesus. Where have you departed from the promises of God? It happens so subtly. We don't wake up and go, you know what? Today, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna back out on my promise that I made to God and the faith that I put in him and his promises, I don't know about that. Today is the day I'm gonna decide to not be a Christian. No, we kind of wake up in this default mode where we have to remind ourselves, oh, that's right. I'm deciding to follow Jesus. I'm deciding to put my trust and my faith in things that I can't see. I'm deciding to put my trust in the grace of God. And subtly, We kind of slip out of that conversion if we don't pay attention to it. Let's come back this morning. Friends, if that's where you're at, let's come back to the faith and hope we have in the good grace of God that is so lavish and abundant for us. To do that, to turn back, we have to repent. That's what repent means. It's like literally to change our minds, to turn, to pivot and come back home. 
turning away from evil. And as our prayer said, come with penitent and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of the word of God, Jesus Christ, his son, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence and invite God to show us those ways that we can turn back to him this morning. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.